All right, guys, welcome back to the podcast. I uh, got a very good one for you today. I was lucky enough to sit down with the commissioner of the PGA Tour, Jay Monahan, for about 30 minutes here in Korea. Um, that's that's coming up first, and after that, I'm going to spend a few minutes just debriefing on the trip. Uh, I was hoping to get a guess for that part, but we didn't end up uh, being able to make it happen. But first, before we do that, I want to again remind you guys to make sure you're following Scratch on Twitter, S-K-R-A-T-C-H, on top of all the awesome stuff that they're doing with Adventures of Golf that we've, of course, talked about. It's constantly good stuff coming on your Twitter feed. Uh, and a bit later, we're going to talk a bit about the unbelievable year that Mark Leishman has had. Uh, obviously, a Callaway staffer and what he was doing with his epic driver off the deck in Korea was nothing short of amazing. But for now, let's get to Jay Monahan Again, a reminder, stick around towards the end uh, as we catch up on what was a pretty awesome couple weeks here uh, on the Asian Swing. Thanks for tuning in. Be the right club. Be the right club today. Yes. that's better than most. How about him? That is better than most. Better than most. Expect anything different. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the No Laying Up podcast. I'm Chris Solomon coming to you live from the CJ Cup in South Korea and joined by a special guest today, the commissioner of the PGA Tour, Jay Monahan. How has the transition been to the new role? Do you feel fully settled in? Is it even a new role anymore? You're almost a year in. Well, Chris, first of all, great to be with you and, uh, and great to be here uh, on Sunday, the final round of the CJ Cup at Nine Bridges. And... You know, I had uh, two and a half years in my prior role working alongside Commissioner Fincham serving as, as Deputy Commissioner, so I had a lot of, I had significant opportunity to see all facets of the business, and I think we started the year as an organization, you know, with our plan firmly set, and you certainly see things for the first time, but I think a lot of those first looks were eliminated over the past two and a half years, but I think it's been a phenomenal year. Uh, you've covered it well. Uh, these young players that uh, have emerged and have emerged in spectacular fashion, both in terms of the way they're playing as well as the way they handle themselves. Um, I think that's led to just great vibrancy, great energy, and uh, I don't think we could ask to be in a better place than we are right now. Like, we're certainly going to look to improve upon it, but that's... Yeah, I was going to say, you took happen. over in a bit kind of, of a transition period in terms of what's going on at at the level of play or kind of who is emerging as the top players. But overall, the tour, you, you took over a tour that was in very good hands with very good partners no set up mm-hmm. across the board. So it's not like you needed to come in and make any overhaul once you, once you became the commissioner. And again, mm-hmm. I guess you were, you were kind of slowly eased into the role as well and from what I gathered. But uh, the impact you've had has been, I would say, rather significant in the people that I talk to, the players I talk to, and the, the caddies and whatnot. It seems like your approach and I, is one of – great transparency and the guys feel like they have a resource that they can go to whenever they have something to say. Is that been an open mindset you've had or a, a purposeful? Yeah, I think that's, you know, I would say in terms of the transition, it's almost more of a blend. Like on January right. 1st, I don't look like I started. I don't feel like I started something. Right. It was kind of just blending into something that I had already been doing. And it's just, um, that's my management style. That's the way I've, I've always led. That's the way I, I love to be in a position to lead. But I think in, in order to effectively lead, you've got to understand. You've got to understand all your constituents. Uh, and you've got, to, you've got to understand all perspectives. Not just the good, but the challenge areas, uh, both in terms of players, media partners, our own people. 
And that's really the way I've looked at this whole year is one big, long listening tour. At the same time, really trying to execute on the things that we're trying to accomplish as a business. And that'll be the way that we continue to operate. Uh, I think that's the only way to improve and it's the best way to improve. Well, I want to talk a bit about your background too and uh, how you came to the tour. So you're, you're a Boston guy through and through and you had what sounded like a dream job with the Fenway Sports Group before you came in to work for the, P- for the yep. PGA Tour. So what, what encouraged you to leave a job that you considered a dream job? You're a big Red Sox fan, still season ticket holder, is that right? Yeah, family's had season tickets yeah. forever, 70-something years, I believe. So yeah. what, what about golf that brought, brought you away from, from that amazing job? I would say the power of the PGA Tour brand. I had back in early in my career, I worked for a title sponsor on the PGA Tour, EMC. Then I had the good fortune of being executive director of the Deutsche Bank its first three years. Um, and then I got a phone call in 2008 from Commissioner Fincham with an opportunity to come to the tour and run the Players' Championship. And I'm from a golfing family, um, grew up playing when I was five years old, really passionate about the business of golf, really passionate about the impact the game has. And for me, when I got that call, being a Boston guy, um, the thought of moving to Florida really was never on the radar screen. But because I got the call from the PGA Tour, because I got the call from Commissioner Fincham, we took a good hard look at it and obviously really thankful that we did. And um, I would say that uh, being, in this, being in this business and being in this industry and working for the tour is one of the great blessings in my life. Would you, would you classify yourself as a golf nut? No question. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I think um, that's, my, that's the thing I'm craziest about. And, uh, you know, following all of our tours, following... I'm always following what's happening in our industry and, and with the tour, as you would expect. That's my job. But even if I weren't in this job, I think my patterns would probably be fairly similar. And I've got some brothers and friends and others around me that, if I'm not following it, they're bringing it to my attention quickly. How many rounds have you gotten in this year? You know, I, I, um, I this has been a busy stretch for, for all of us in the business for really the last two or three months. But um, I am I have a golf club in my hand, hitting balls, working on my game at least once a week um and i you know I, I find the time to get out and play so i i don't know how many rounds i've played but i've been out to your earlier point i played in five pro-ams uh with sponsors you're catching up to me there you go. <laughs> how many have you played in? no i think uh, four i've had four this year so you got me i think so well, i think that's the best way to see what's happening sure. on, on the ground so i've played in those five and over the holidays played a few and i am uh i was regressing as it related to my handicap uh, what do you play I, off of? I play off of a five handicap uh, right now, I believe. I think 4.6 index. Um, so once we get to the December, January time frame, that's, that becomes peak season to get right. the game in form. But I'll always be playing golf. Is that uh, Where did you, I guess, grow up playing the game? How did you learn the game? Do you have a course like that you grew up on that kind of speaks to your soul in some way absolutely well i grew up on two golf courses one was a nine-hole golf course called fresh pond it was a municipal golf course in cambridge massachusetts my dad actually still has the course record there which and is the other was uh, 63 wow uh and the other uh is a course called winchester country club in 1902 donald ross and uh we're still members there my whole family going back to my great-grandfather belonged to that club so grew up playing junior golf tournaments there and in the junior golf program and that's to me is still the best golf course in the world because of the memories i have there some of those old school courses kind of still to this day have a way of 
speaking to your soul way more than anything built like in the last 50 or so years. But um, I want to talk to you a bit about kind of why we're here. We're here in Asia. This is kind of a a time period on the golf calendar when even some hardcore golf fans are kind of checked out. And Mm -hmm. there's the baseball playoffs going on. NHL has started. NBA has started. Uh, NFL is obviously in full swing. College football is going on right now as we speak. Yet there's an almost $10 million purse on the other side of the world in this Asian swing. And you guys have a great field here this week. Uh, I think there's, I'm super excited to come over and see this firsthand. Uh, and I just want to know what, how you view the first year of this CJ Cup. How big of a success do you feel like it has been? And what, how do you foresee the future of golf in Asia? Well, to, to the point of your question, we're not here to compete against the sure. events that you just mentioned. Um, we're here. If you just look, you step back and you look at what's happened in Korea going back really 15, 16 years, you've got the emergence of K.J. Choi, uh, his eight wins, went at the Players' Championship, Y.E. Yang went in the PGA, Siwoo Kim this past year went in the Players' Championship. We were here underground in Jeju Island with an event in 2004, 2015 President's Cup, golf returns to the Olympics last year, raises the profile of the game here in Korea, and now we've got a 10-year commitment with a new event. And you say, okay, so why, but why Korea? You can go any place in the world. Three and a half million people play the game here, population 50 million. 36 million rounds played on golf courses mm. last year. When you look at screen golf, yeah. that number doubles. We've, we've, we've experienced and that. I'll be experiencing that later tonight. <laughs> yes. We're going to go to golf song. Yes. So, so, so you think about 72 million rounds of golf played, the avidity here. Um, the following here, the fact that we've got 11 players playing on our tour, you know, this is a perfect example of going into a market that you've played a role in helping to grow and develop and taking another step forward. And so in terms of it being here on Sunday, um, I think that it's been a great success. Players have responded very well to the golf course, the accommodations, the culture, um, and the operation of the event. Yeah. And you know, we'll always look at things and find the things that we need to do to get better, but uh, I think for a first-year event, we couldn't be more pleased. Yeah, the reaction I've heard from the players. I mean, the guys care about the golf course, obviously, one. They care about the purse money. They care about how well taken care of they are. I think some can be a, maybe a bit intimidated by you know foreign travel if things aren't necessarily taken care of them for it. But staying in a nice resort with good food and everything. The, I mean, the, from, from you know hotel to course and back to hotel, it sounds like it's just been a great experience across the board. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I would, I would also add that you go back to the President's Cup in 15, mm-hmm. and during that week we met with CJ, and ultimately that resulted in a 10-year commitment to a PGA Tour event here. And also during that week we had discussions with Hyundai, who was sponsoring the Tournament of Champions, and ultimately moved to Los Angeles in a 10-year commitment there. So when you bring big events to big markets and you get that kind of response, it also has a trickle effect into other parts of your business that you can't discount. And do you, how, how do you see further expansion in Asia? Do you see more tour events in other potential countries in Asia? Well, I think there was one with Malaysia. Then there was, sorry, one with HSBC in Shanghai two with Malaysia, three here in South Korea. Um, At this point, I think it's well documented that we're working on our our post-2018 schedule, and we have a lot of work to do on that domestically. Uh, I think that we're we're put, I I can tell you that we're putting more resources on the ground and more international markets, and that is to do a couple things. One, you want to make certain when you've got 85 players from 23 different countries that you're 
making the effort to build their profile in their home countries. You're building the profile of the tour. And then you're putting yourself in a position where as things change, if it were, if an opportunity were to open, you're in a position to capitalize on it. So a long way of saying, we don't have plans right now to add an event internationally, uh, but I think you'll see some vibrancy and energy here in years to come. I see, you know, along with this event being new this year, there was a, a one, one event that changed this year with the Zurich Classic. There was a format change. We made it a team event. Uh, the European Tour has tinkered a lot with tournament formats, and it seemed like this first go-around for a different format for a PGA Tour event this year went very well. There was a buzz about it. The players seemed to be extra interested Absolutely. in it. Do you consider that first go-around a success, and do you, do you, does the Tour plan to continue to expand in this area? We're going we're gonna to continue to do everything we can to evolve in a way that benefits the fan. So I think, if, do we consider that event a success? Absolutely. Just look at the way it performed this year relative to the way it performed in the past in terms of strength of field and in terms of overall energy response ratings. So what, what changes we'll make going forward, I think that's to be seen or to be determined. But you also got to look at that event and say, you got the president's cup, you've got the Ryder cup, you've got the world cup. And that event fits very well into how those events are going to continue to develop. So as successful as it was this, this past year, look at how it develops going forward. I don't think it's nearly reached the, its full potential uh, based on that fact. Mm-hmm. And we are, it's hard to answer that question succinctly as I'm demonstrating, but I, I want to I emphasize the fact that we're putting a lot of energy into understanding all segments of our fan base, how they're responding to formats. The 72 stroke hole format, stroke play format will always be our core, core format, but uh, I'd be crazy to say that we're not going to continue to change and evolve. Right. Well, one, when you're ever ready to talk, I've got about a million half-baked ideas that I haven't fin- finished yet. But if you need some ideas, I, I can, uh, we can bounce a few we're off of listening. you. But two, I, I do want kind of understand the, the, what comes with like a, a potential change in a format and that some sponsors may not want to be viewed as, and I don't want to call it gimmicky, but mm-hmm. something different than what you consider your 72-hole stroke metal play and whatnot. But uh, I do think, and along with lines with what you just said and understanding what your fan base is interested in, I feel like there's been a shift within the last couple of years in the way you guys approach social media, influencers, new media types, ourselves included. Has that been something that you're an initiative of yours, or is that – uh, what what is the general strategy you guys see in that area? I'd say that's a response to fans. Yeah. I mean, and you you just look at look at the way fans behave when they're on site at our tournaments. You look at the way they're consuming media, and you try and understand it to the best degree that you can, and then you try and eliminate friction so that fans can participate. So changes to our social media policy, to putting more resources behind putting content and and, and creating content for our players. Um, create, giving giving the fans the ability to tell the story of where they are, shoot video, the social currency of that that we benefit from. I mean, these are all things that we're, I would say, we're early stage in, but um, that's not something that, that really comes back to really understanding your fan base sure. and uh, a lot more to come on that front. Hmm. You, I've heard you mention in the past kind of the tourist open mindset when it comes to gaming, whether that's, you know, daily fantasy sports or other forms of betting. What was the kind of thought process that went into that stance and your, your willingness to speak openly on that? That, that comes down to engagement, yeah. fan engagement. You want, uh, 
you want fans living, breathing your product. And you look at um, daily fantasy, skill-based gaming. You look at gaming generally. There's no. You look at what people are doing around fantasy. Um, there's no question that that drives engagement. And so we look at that as a positive. And then when you're out and you're talking to the likes of DraftKings and FanDuel and you see that golf is one of the most popular sports in that realm, then it's something that you know you look at and say, well, we should, we should really try and support getting to a fair, balanced system, regulated system, so that our fans can get more engaged with our sport. To you, what, what, what do you think is important about the way that the tour, your product, is presented on television? What, what are your priorities when it comes to how, how golf is presented on TV? Well, I think you want to, one, you want to capture the, the difficulty and the importance of winning week in and week out. It is so hard to win on the PGA Tour, uh, and those moments are very special. So capturing the, the emotion of those moments uh, at that point in time, I think, and, and as they're developing, I think is, uh, is really important. Telling the story away from um, the way a player plays a golf course uh, and plays the game, you know, the complete, the complete player, helping to dimensionalize our players is an important part of what we do. Um, engaging our fans with more data, with more statistics, with more angles, with more innovation, uh, these are all things that um, are happening um, and will continue to happen, but I think that's uh, really important. I also think that we're, listen, we have 60 different media partners around the world. So we focus on what we're doing in the United States with our great partners, but we also need to capture the same all over the world and putting resources in place where we understand the local cultures and we're doing this, replicating that in those markets is more complicated than, than it might appear. Uh, but I think the most important thing, again, is understanding the way that the fans are consuming their media and being where they're going to go. Uh, and that's something that we're working hard on. Because I know that listeners to this show are followers, and I, I think I can speak for a lot of young fans. There's been issues. We've noted it, and it's kind of feedback we've gotten from fans is that in the way golf is presented on television, a lot of things seem to be in flux in that regard with contract negotiations, the, the emergence of PGA Tour Live and what the future of live golf looks like. What do you, what do you envision for, and I don't want to you know, put you to, to a deadline, but kind of three, five, ten years down the road for what might look different in the way golf is presented on television? And I, I, I'm, I belabor this point a lot because I think it's incredibly important that the way that golf fans consume your, your, your content, your material, is through the lens of how it's presented on television. Currently on Sunday afternoon, I don't have an option of what to watch. I have to watch what is what a network producer on CBS, NBC, or Golf Channel is presenting to me, or Fox, of course, for U.S. Open. So what does is, what is the future of that look like? Well, I think it's futures are difficult to predict, but I think that you, listen, you know, five seven years ago did you think you could watch any nfl game at any point that you wanted to watch um you may not have thought was that that mm -hmm. would be the case i think for us um you're just going to see our network partners our core partners in the u.s are going to continue to be uh, the backbone of how we present our product um, how the media landscape evolves is something as partners you know when you look at who we're partnered with NBC Golf Channel, CBS, they cover 
professional golf, they cover the PGA Tour, they're also covering other sports, they're investing in new technologies. And so understanding where the world is going and creating more optionality, if you will, for your fans is something that um, I think will happen. Do you, you know, looking, looking at a world where you can follow a player for 18 holes, uh, looking at a world where you can follow a group for 18 holes, looking at a world where perhaps there's a different presentation based on different segment, segment of your fan, whether it's a millennial, whether it's core fan, um, looking at, you know, a, a day and age where you can follow a, an international composition of players. Those are all things that technology is going to enable. Um, the question is, how does that mesh with what the fan wants? And when you're making long-term commitments, those are all the things you got to think through. So I don't have a I don't have a firm answer other than to say it's that's part of the process that we we have been going through and we'll keep going through. Sure. And I think most most hardcore fans, myself speaking, and I consider myself kind of a golf nut. I think a lot of people that listen to this show would put themselves in that golf nut category. The, the PGA Tour Live has been a revelation. I mean, it's it's fantastic when 7 a.m. rolls around and they're going to follow six of the top players in the game for 18 holes. I mean, I, I don't even necessarily need that on my screen, but I put my headphones in, just listen to golf being called. That's that's perfect, and I think that's a great step towards what you're saying of maybe in the future will we have a camera on every single player and be able to watch. Um, but it, golf is inherently so much harder to cover than other professional sports and that you're spread out over 18 holes and there's so much action going on at once. But there's also, there's also, we're talking about Thursday through Sunday. You know, there's Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. There are hours that we're not covering. There are activities that, that our players are participating in that we're not covering. I just think that the friction is going to be taken out of the model where there's a lot more there's a lot more that the fan can see and experience going forward. Mm-hmm. At least the potential of that exists. That's pretty exciting. What's something that about the tour, about professional golf, or something along those lines that fans just have no idea exists or no idea that? Um, I, I'm amazed the more I do this and how, you know, I've always thought, why can't they do this? And then somebody says, well, there's this, they have this sponsor agreement, blah, blah, blah. And the, the amount of things that go on behind the scenes continue to, to blow my mind. So what's something that sticks out to you is uh, something that fans have no idea about? I think the, the level of commitment and the amount of effort it takes for a player to compete on the PGA Tour. So you just you take any given week, you have 52 players playing in a pro-am, you have another 50 to 70 that are participating in a sponsor value program. They're coming to, players are going to charity drop-bys, doing different activities over the course of early in the week while they're preparing to play a tournament. They've got their own functions at night with their partners uh, over the course of the week. They're getting on a plane with their families, with their teams, going back and forth to different markets. They may have to go home to support a charity that they founded or that they're involved with. Um, they may go to a charity event of a fellow player. I think a Henrik Stenson going to Sergio's event right after winning the Open Championship a couple weeks ago. These these players are their businesses are complicated. Their lifestyles are complicated. But the only the only my my point is that to see their commitment not only to their game. I think that's well known by everybody that's listening. But their commitment to doing the right thing, to supporting the right causes, to supporting each other, to always being on. It's it's impressive to see, and, and we get to get a, a special look at that. And uh, it's a hard story to tell because it's never-ending. 
Um, but having worked in a number of other sports, I think that's what makes the PGA Tour and our players so special and so unique. Yeah, because it's kind of once you enter a certain level of success, your your responsibilities change, and it's not something you really can prepare for. I mean, those guys grow up playing golf. You know, they go and play college golf, and then all of a sudden they're elevated to this corporate status where they have sponsor obligations, like you said, and then they're expected to be doing charitable events. And the ba- that balance kind of continues to blow my mind with – how guys do manage their their practice schedules, their travel schedules, and all that. So, well, just I mean, Justin Thomas right now is the is a shining example. You know, to win the FedEx Cup, turn around, be awarded PGA Tour Player of the Year, get over to CIMB, be here at CJ Cup, perform at a high level with same ferocity. Meanwhile, I know he had a number of commitments in New York City the week between. Um, I think that right there is a microcosm of all that is good (laughs) it goes to i mean i think the guys some guys are ready for a break uh but at the same time you know there's so much good happening in golf and there's so much incentive for the guys to play this part of the schedule with fedex cup events you mentioned kind of the scheduling changes that are going to be coming in 19 do you and i I talked to a particular player and i said i was going to sit down to talk to you he i uh, a top player that whose opinion you'd be very interested in uh he asked i asked him what i should ask you and he wanted to know about the future of the event in boston do you have any insight as to what, what might happen in the future in Boston? Um, I, you know, I certainly, it's something we're spending a lot of time on. So we said that we want to we wanna complete our FedEx Cup play, playoffs prior to the start of the NFL and college football seasons. So that would require us to go from four to three playoff events. I think um, there have been a lot of, there have been rumors that Boston will be coming off of the schedule and that decision hasn't been made. We're looking at you know, we're looking at a lot of different options and having come from there, that obviously puts me right. in, 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 a, in an awkward spot. So I'll recognize that. <laughs> but uh, I think there are a lot of good bones there. And I think we'll be playing golf in Boston for a while. Okay. Do you have any relationships with commissioners of other sports? And how do you kind of view yourself in comparison to how other commissioners run their respective leagues? You know, I have, I, I have, I do have relationships with commissioners in other sports. I've I've gotten to know Rob Manfred uh, with Major League Baseball well, and, and Adam Silver, Mark Tatum, um, were very helpful to us back in 2015 with a, an employee summit that we had, and have talked to them about a number of uh, items along the way that have I think that they, the areas where they lead where I thought it would be helpful to get their insights. But I would say that I don't where where there's commonality, um, I think you reach out and you try and benefit from their experience, but. The beauty of what we have at the PGA Tour is we've got 49 events. We've got some of the leading companies in the world that serve as our sponsors, and I've gotten the, I'm in the position and I have the good fortune of really learning from some of the best CEOs in the world. So I've got a fairly broad network of people that I rely on for advice and, and try and benefit from their experience. This is a question uh, I love asking the, the tour guys that I talk to, and they usually have to think on it pretty good. But when was the last time you paid for golf? Um. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good one. <laughs> wow. Um, I played. I paid for golf during the week of the Deutsche Bank Championship at my home club because I'm an out-of-town member, and every time I come back to play, I've got to pay. Okay. So. It's usually, and then the yeah. tour guys are like, well, I pay my dues at my, the club yeah. I belong to, so does that count? But No, I uh, can tell you that because my wife 
we were at home the other night, and she said, "What's this guest fee you have at Winchester Country Club?" I thought you, I thought you played with your dad and your brothers. I said, "I know, I'm a guest. We're out of town members." Wow. So. <laughs> <laughs> Do you have a course? Is there a course out there that you have not played that you're particularly interested and keen to play? I, there's quite a few yeah. actually. Um, Royal Melbourne is the one that I would say first and foremost, and. I think between now and the 2019 President's Cup, I'll get the chance to play it. But that's one that just... Uh, we're going down next month if you want to join. Are you really? Yeah. We're going to go down and shoot, shoot a bunch of... We're going to start shooting a travel series down there, actually. So going to go play a bunch of courses down there. So, Well, see, I'll learn from you. Welcome to, welcome to join if you'd yeah. like. <laughs> All right. On that note, uh, Jake, thank you very much for your time. Um, and it's, thank I know, you, Chris. I, yeah, I know that, that I'm really excited about the direction the tour is going. And I know, again, like I mentioned, a lot of the guys seem to be uh, very encouraged and enthusiastic about your tenure as a commissioner. And uh, so I would say keep up the great work and uh, your transparency and your willingness to come and talk to guys like me is uh, greatly appreciated by all of our listeners as well. So Let me say one thing to your Uh-oh. listeners. And thanks to you and also thanks to your listeners for being so passionate about the PGA Tour. But if you do want to get involved, we have a fan council, which we've established the last six or seven months. And that's where we test a lot of ideas, whether it's formats or changes to different areas of, of how we present ourselves across media, uh, different things we're thinking about in terms of campaigns. So you get an inside look, and we get the benefit of people that are really rabid about our sport. So Where do you find that? Because uh, I'd love Tour, to get involved with PGA that. Tour. Yeah. yeah, we can we can share the information on how to get involved because I I do I do love that again that transparency and willingness to kind of hear from your fan base because I know that there's there's plenty of things that we'd love to speak up about and kind of give feedback on and uh, and if it at least gets heard and that's and I know that there's a lot of things that go into making decisions and whatnot but uh, being being heard is I know a, a a big thing for our listeners and fans so that'd be greatly appreciated. Thanks, Chris. All right, thank you. All right, guys, I hope you enjoyed the commissioner. Uh, Before we debrief on that, I want to again point out what we talked about at the top of the show. Uh, Mark Leishman with his Callaway Epic Driver, of course, was unleashing drivers off the deck. His first ever event with the no laying up towel on the bag, and he might have taken things, he might have taken the lifestyle actually a bit too seriously. I was a bit concerned. On the 72nd hole, the wind was into the, their face, and I think they were they were two around 260, and they were considering hitting driver off the deck. Mark wanted to hit driver off the deck into the island green 18th hole, and uh, eventually the wind settled down. They were able to hit three wood and hit one of the most majestic-looking three wood shots I've ever seen executed uh, under that kind of pressure. Uh, it was awesome to see Mark un- unleashing that lifestyle and to be dominating with the Callaway clubs. And just the season he's had has been pretty remarkable. Two wins in 2017 and then almost one wins here to start to start the new season. So uh, you, of course, can go to Callaway, CallawayGolf.com, find out a lot more about Mark and a lot more about the equipment he's using uh, to dominate the game, right? Right now so uh hope you guys enjoyed jay monahan that was that was pretty cool i'm not gonna lie uh to get to i mean it's one thing to kind of relate to some of the younger players on tour which i think we're able to do on this podcast but to have the have the commissioners here for 30 minutes and uh after we turn the mics off we even debriefed even more on some things that you know maybe not best public conversation but uh we talked about tv deals and about 
anything you could imagine and kind of was able to, he, he lended an attentive ear and listened and asked questions and was fully engaged. So I kind of started to see uh, what everyone's been talking about with uh, with his leadership style and how uh, personable of a guy he is. And actually, you heard us talk about um, about the golf son, the screen golf, which is just an enormous thing here in Korea and that he was going, I, I actually got to join and we went and played, did an alternate shot format uh, at golf son. And we just, you know, just sat around, had a couple beers and played golf son and had a good time and uh, had a little competition. And then we had like a little trophy ceremony at the end of it, which he was, uh, he went back into commissioner role and uh, jokingly thanked the sponsors for, for coming in the, in the volunteers and fans for coming out. We had a, we had an awesome night. So uh, just an awesome week in Korea. I know, um, you know, if you're listening to this, I think it's safe to say you were at least semi-tuned into the event. And uh, I know, again, we talked about it on the pod with with Jay, but it's not the biggest priority in the world right now. Golf is not. And to be honest, if I wasn't out here, I don't think I would be just as nearly as attentive to the event, obvious as I was being here on person. But uh, a lot of people asking why why in the world I came to Malaysia and Korea. I think it was uh, pretty pretty amazing opportunity to come cover an event on the other side of the world, part of the world I've never been to before, uh, and see what golf is like over here. I'm going to get to play a few courses in this coming week and um, getting to experience some things in golf that I've never thought I would actually experience. And these last couple of weeks have been pretty unprecedented in terms of access to the players, uh, not necessarily from a media perspective, but more from a social perspective and um, kind of staying nearby or or in hotels that they're staying in, grabbing dinner, grabbing beers with caddies and just kind of getting to see a different side of professional golf and see how these guys associate with each other. Um, you know, when there's no other, no other U S media really here at all. Um, and then to go out, I, I loved, I love to follow. I know apparently I was on the broadcast a lot, uh, on Sunday on the CJ cup. Um, but I just love to go out and follow golf and get to limited fields. You get to see a lot of guys play a lot of holes that, uh, you don't normally maybe get to see, uh, in events in the States. So man, it was awesome. Uh, nine bridges I thought held out very well turned into a very nice and firm test for the guys once it dried out a little bit and once the wind blew I thought it played very easy on Thursday they set it up much tougher the following days and I think the players had a lot of respect for that course um, both from a playing perspective from aesthetic perspective and from a uh, just an overall Immac- I don't know, immaculation is that a word the 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 condition i think was was excellent a few a few people saying that they didn't care for some of the root systems and the way the turf played out of the fairway and whatnot uh, but i think the course still has some a bit more growing in to do but from the from an overall perspective the, the event was a success and uh that that's that's a bit it's it's a big ask for a first year event for it to have gone off as well as it did um and I think it's going to be even better field next year. It's huge money. And the guys are going to, I mean, honestly, I think it sounds like the guys are going to start playing this event more and it's going to get a better field than I think China will just because of the amenities that surround it and the prestige that kind of surrounds, uh, surrounds golf in Korea. It's a huge thing. And, uh, man, it was just cool. I know that there was some, there's some cultural differences when it comes to fans and fan interaction. And there was some issues with camera phones and, uh, touched on this a bit in the, some of the blog posts I wrote, but the, uh, it's illegal to sell phones in, to like sell a phone in Korea for, with a, a silencer on the shutter because of potentially unwanted photographs being taken. 
Uh, that's kind of a nightmare when it comes to a golf event. The crowds weren't overly big. I mean, this, this tournament was on an island south of the mainland. Um, and so I, I think, you know, when or if the, the tournament moves to the mainland or moves around a bit, uh, we may see bigger crowds out there and may see that become a bigger issue. But uh, it was quite challenging for some of the players at certain points. I know that. But hardly hardly the main focus of the, of the week. I think it was, uh, again, just just awesome. And it's cool to see to hear the Korean players talk about what that event meant. And KJ Choi's quote just really stuck out to me saying, like, pride doesn't doesn't begin to describe uh what i'm feeling right now it's it's you know we are given wings to fly i forget what the direct translation of what his quote was but it's it that was pretty cool to see so um got to play one course called blackstone nearby and kind of start to experience what uh what, what a korean golf experience is like it's you know i i've you've heard me talk a lot about on the show about um how accessible golf is like in the UK and how I wish that would translate over to the U S uh, it's even further on the, uh, spectrum here in Korea. And that's the tagline of this Blackstone club was called an exclusive club. Uh, so not only do they not try to hide their exclusivity, they actually embrace it and just an incredibly nice clubhouse, super nice golf course, uh, set there in the mountains and but not but it's definitely not mountain golf and an awesome caddy experience where you have one caddy between the four of you and you all four ride in the same cart and uh, they're all female caddies and she has a a, a button like that she carries and this was the same at, at uh, nine bridges a button that keeps the cart moving along a magnetic strip on the path so you don't even have to be in the cart to drive it. She can be out in the fairway with you, and she brings like three clubs for each player and gives you a bunch of options. And uh, and then you all start walking the green together, and you start thinking, wait, what, what are you doing with the cart? And then the cart just starts moving. It's it's incredible. And I got to play the Pro-Am on Wednesday with Adam Hadwin, um, which was awesome. And he was he couldn't have been nicer and was engaged. And uh, we taught him a little bit about tour sauce. He participated in a little video we shot with the PGA Tour uh, as well and uh, had a good time with that but yeah that was uh that was kind of trippy the first time you see the golf cart just moving on its own but um uh i am not going to china was eventually planning on going to china but had visa issues um and actually just popped up to seoul for a few days and i'm going to head out and play a few courses this week one called whistling rock uh you may have heard shane bacon talk about this and i know dj pihowski's played out there as well uh i've heard some amazing things i'm gonna need to check it for myself as well as going to Hazley nine bridges uh, which is the sister course of Nine Bridges uh, at, at the where they just played on Jeju Island. Uh, and then lastly, hopefully going down to play a Kyle, new Kyle Phillips course called South Cape. I think it's relatively new. I have to look up the founding date exactly. But um, getting a chance to play some pretty incredible golf over here. This isn't necessarily going to be a how-to plan, or I'm not sure exactly what, I'm, what my plans are for podcast on debriefing with this because it's such a it's such a different golf experience and uh but i do think the story of of what golf is like in korea is going to be interesting so going to do my best to tell that as it is um and again i touched i tweeted this this part of the story but uh, i need to emphasize again that what 
uh, Leishman on two separate occasions. Again, he had an, a no-laying-up towel in the bag for the first time. Tron uh, sent a few over to Maddie Kelly, his caddy, and uh, he, they were they were thinking of laying up on I think it was on Friday on the third hole, and Leish took the towel and folded it uh, so the no laying up read right in Maddie's face, and then pulled driver off the deck and knocked it onto 25 feet. Uh, and then he did it. I was following their group on Friday and he did it again on Friday. And, uh, Maddie flashed the towel at me as he went for the green and two. It was just, it was just hilarious. I mean, the, the, the entire vibe of the week was, was kind of laid back like that. Guys were chatting up between holes and a couple holes. There was, you know, two groups backed up and guys were just totally apt to down to sit around and talk and, you know, they didn't necessarily weren't necessarily worried that the crowd could understand what they were saying or overhearing conversations. So the, the conversations were a bit pretty freewheeling, and you know, most of that stuff will obviously be off the record and whatnot. But it was it was just kind of cool to see see guys that uh, I don't want to say are checked out, but these no cut events are a bit bit of a joy ride for them. And, uh, you know, they're, they're going to show up and automatically make 16, 17,000 or whatever it gets la- last place gets and, uh, get treated pretty well and have a great week. And, uh, it's, but you know, these guys are trying to get a jump on the FedEx cup for the year and trying to choose what events they want to play in the fall. Uh, the, the tour makes it kind of tough on, on the guys that are, that want to take a break, want to be done for the year because, uh, you don't want to fall too far behind in the FedEx cup. But, uh, like I said, overall, I think, I think this event's going to be huge in the future. It was so much fun to get to see this side of it and to get to, you know get to get to do some of this stuff out here and thanks a ton to the folks at the pga tour that helped us set up jay and uh help help with just you know all the access we were able to get this week these couple weeks and uh look forward to doing more stuff like this in the future and uh really really excited about the relationship we've relationship we've formed there so uh thanks guys for tuning in hopefully you enjoyed jay um hopefully we'll be checking back in next week i think we do have a couple good ones coming for this fall nothing in nothing in pen yet but we've penciled in some good ones on the on the calendar and hopefully they come to fruition but uh as always thanks for tuning in and we'll speak soon Be the right club. Be the right club today. Yes! Yeah. Yeah, I mean, that's better than most. How about him? That is better than most. Better than most! 